I did have issues with bringing home my work. Yeah. You know, losing games are hard. And you coming home, you emotionally evolved and all that. My wife used to be like, man, don't be coming home when you lose. And I don't, I don't even want you to come home. So. <laughs> Before they get in your business, be in charge of your business. Own it because it's your business. Your business, business. Handle all of your business. Value all of your business. You say your money, your business. My business. What's up, what's up, everybody? We're back at it again. Two for one special in the sense of two episodes in one week. Now we're going to have a conversation with, I, listen, I was excited because I'm a fan of the show. The head coach of the East Los Angeles Huskies, his name is Coach John Mosley, and he did not only one season, but he did two seasons with Netflix's Last Chance You Basketball. And the exciting part about that is I liked hearing his thought process. So we see the show, he's animated, he's high energy, but there's a human behind that. And so I talked to him all about it. Would he coach again? Why did he accept the coaching? What is he going to do after this? We talk all about that, including would he ever coach at HBCU? We'll get into it. Let's go! Coach, how do you even keep a voice, first of all, before we <laughs> coach? Like, it sounds like your voice is gone. My son and I watched this show. So, like, what, like, what's going on? Like, you know what? I sing in a choir at church and I can't sing anymore. So, I used to be able to, you know, sit next to my wife and be able to, you know, sing some Brian McKnight, old school Brian McKnight. Okay. <laughs> I used to be able to hit the high pitches and I can't do it since I've become a head coach. Assistant coach, I was a little more quiet, but. Uh, wow. So that's been some years now then since you ain't been able to hit them notes. That's I ain't been crazy. able to sing Brian McKnight. And my kids are like <laughs> laughing. They're like, when I try to sing to her. And so my kids are like, dude, you can't sing that. And, and my, mom, my my wife says, no, he used to be able to sing it to me, but he just lost his voice screaming. So you could really sing beforehand, though. Uh, not like professional, but I can hold the note <laughs> okay. to where she, it was endearing to my wife. You know, let's say that. Nowhere past that. No, you're back. <laughs> so head coaching has some other implications. I told, I was saying that my son and I, we really do watch the show. I use it as a teaching tool because he plays ball and the stuff that you be talking to the kids about, I be like, you heard what he said? And so I'm curious because I asked him, does he have any questions for you? And he said that we see a lot of their regrets and a lot of things that they wish they would have done different. Do you have any things that you wish you would have done differently, you know, as you look through your career? Yeah, I wish I would have listened to people that were saying what I was saying, <laughs> um, you know. And so I, I understand what they're going through and why, why uh, their reactions are the way they are. And so we're trying to break that barrier down. Like, dude, I know exactly kind of how you're thinking. And I'm telling you that, you know, we got to break that down. It's okay to think that way, but understand that, that we're losing opportunities to get better or to, uh, or we're just losing opportunities because of our responses. So we're trying to break that down a little bit sooner than it broke down with me. You know, that's crazy. And like, how did it become about, like, how did Netflix find East LA? Like, how did they get in? Like, did you guys pursue them? They just came to you all. It was a cold call. And you know what? Before this all came out, I have no social media. I, I like to stay underground. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they call me. I'm like, man, I'm not doing that. That's not me. I just stay underground and do me. And they said, it's a good show. And I kind of looked at it. I was like, oh, no. When I watched the other coaches, I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I said, I can't do that. I can't be the way they are. And uh, I asked a few people, and you know what's interesting? The person that kind of convinced me was like my pastor. He was like, 
no, you should do it. I thought he was going to be like, no, you know, just stay in the church and be, you know. But he said, no, you should you should do it and live out your life on the camera. And I said, man, I'm going to get fired. And he said, no, you'll be fine. And, <laughs> you know, we were able to plant some seeds and a lot of people were encouraged and, and was able to see some authenticity in it. So it worked out. And you know what? They did a good job of, of really uh, telling the story and kind of, you know, some of some of the things that were important to me being able to put that on camera. And so it, it worked out. I was actually surprised. I didn't. When you go through it, you're like, there's no way this is going to be entertaining. It's highly entertaining. Okay. Yeah. I thought I'd come off like a jerk. I'm like, ah, I don't know, man, how it's going to work out. So No, it's highly entertaining. So do you You don't have any control in the back end of it. They just film you and then you watch it with us pretty much as it comes out? Yeah, they control all the content. and But you know what? Like, I think Greg Whiteley, who's the, the kind of creator of the show, he told me, he said, it's just going to be a mirror of you. And I'm thinking, like, let me go look at myself and see what I look like. <laughs> and uh, I said, all right, if I'm passionately trying to help these kids, and I truly am, like, in my heart, and it really was revealed during the show. Yes, I'm a little hard, and I'm kind of grimy, and I'm going off on them. But what's in my heart is really that they move on and they have success, and that's what's, you know, I guess that's what everybody saw. No, that's definitely what comes across. And so this is season two. So usually Last Chance you they switch schools and coaches each year, but they came back to you for two seasons. And like I said, my son and I, we're like, watch it religiously every time it comes out. Now, we saw Deion Sanders has a docuseries called Coach Prime on Amazon Prime. Would you ever be interested in having like Coach Mosley where it's your own, basically, and they continue to follow your team year to year? All respect to Coach Sanders, to Prime. You have to be committed. It is a lot of energy. There was messages that I want to get out that that all of us coaches need to know in my heart. I feel like, look, these kids need our help and we need to continue to inspire them. So that's something that I would like to continue to do. But it's another commitment. There's a commitment to be on display and to be able to share that. And 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 it's a lot, you know, to be able to have a commitment to say, my door is open. If I'm going to commit to this, my door is open so they can see where I drum all this energy up, it comes from home, it comes from family, it comes from having a, a foundation of integrity all the way around. And that's a commitment. And so that's that's part of the challenge. I don't know, I, I would have to sit back and pray and ask my wife, because if we going in, we you gotta go all in as if, as we did this, this show, we went all in. And, you know, we'd have the end of the day, coaching my team and I'm like all right woo, I'm tired I'm ready to go home here's the mic take all this stuff off I want to go home and they say hey coach can we hop in your car and go with you and, yeah. and go home and then I'm like oh, call my wife I'm like they come into the house she's like what <laughs> and so those are things that you got to be willing to commit to and uh I just need a, a breather here but uh possibly possibly because uh, I think there there's still some stories that need to be told. I know exactly what you're talking about. And so how do you balance that, though, of like the home life? You have kids, you're a husband. Like, how do you balance all of that and still pour in so much to the kids? Because I think that's what comes across the most to us is like watching you, all the energy that you put into practice and everything. But then when you go home, you still have to have something left for your family. Well, whatever I'm I'm doing, uh, there's a lot of people that know how to multitask and I'm not great at multitasking. So where wherever I'm at, that gets 100% of my time. And so if I'm with family, I'm 100%. I'm just as emotionally involved as I am with my team. I'm giving my family that emotional attention, whether it's 
that day we're joking and we're clowning or that day I'm looking in their eyes and I'm asking them about their sports or, you know, and then when it's my, my wife is looking at me, you just all with the kids. What about me? And then go a hundred percent. I got to give her that a hundred percent. I just, I'm a hundred percent wherever, whatever space I'm in. So I'm going home. I did have issues with bringing home my work. Yeah. You know, if you, you lose a game or when, winning a game is not tough. Losing games are hard and you coming home, you emotionally evolved and all that. My wife used to be like, man, don't be coming home when you lose. And I don't, I don't even want you to come home. So, <laughs> uh, I've learned how to leave that at the door and go 100%. I think our families understand it. I'll say this for a lot of coaches. They ask me, man, how can you do that and do all the traveling and whatever you do? How can you do that? Well, here's what you can't have. And a lot of guys want to say, well, I need some me time. I need some some guy time. I need to go spend time with my boys. Well, if I'm going to spend 100% of my time with these young men and pour into them, then my family gets 100% of the time. There's not much me time. And so the social life, that I think that's where the family breaks down is you spend all the time at work and then you say, well, I still need my personal time. Let me go to the bar with my guys and my friends and then let me come home. Like, no, like if you're going to pour into that, then you know what? Something has to be eliminated. So I'm not the guy that's going to go home and sit and watch NFL on Sunday and just sit back and, you know, drink and sit. Up. No, it's family. It's church. It's it's their time. I don't have personal time. Well, me and the guys are going to the, you know, we go into the to the Lakers game or something like that. Or I'm gonna do you like this. We go to the Sparks game. Like now, nah, okay, thank you. <laughs> you know, I don't have time for that. My time is my career, my job, and then completely with family. And I think that's what happens with the breakdown. Everybody says, "Well, my job it broke down my family," and like, no, my wife understands the commitment that I have. She understands how much time it takes, the hours that it takes. But when that clock stops there, even if it's a 10-hour day or a 14-hour day, when that clock stops, she gets 100% of the time. And I think that's what's what's happening when they say, well, how does, you know, it's a 14-hour it's a day. Okay. Well, then she gets the 15, 16, 17, 18. She gets the rest of the hours. And the family gets the rest of the hours, uh, even if it's that long. So I think that's that's when everybody asks me the question, I say that's, that's what happens. They get the rest of the time. It's no, well, I need some me time. Like, no, it's that's it. My me time is with family or my me time is with the team. Yeah, that's interesting because there's this term that, you know, in sports, I feel like I grew up in like, I guess they call it like old school sports. You know, I had some pretty tough coaches. I feel like you're one of those coaches in the best way possible. So this term might sound foreign to you, but like self-care, you know, mental health. And stuff. Do you have anything that you do? I know you don't have your me time, but like, what are you continually pulling from? Like, where does all of that come from? Like, do you have a moment where something that you do for your own mentals? Well, my source is right here. I, you know, my source is from, from God. I, that's the time I spend outside of family and outside of uh, that's my first source. And that's where I draw my energy. You know, the compassion that he had for me and changing my life and turning my life around. You know, I see myself in all of those young men. I see myself when somebody's burdened, when my, my wife is sad because I'm not spending time with her. I know that feeling. So I make sure that I'm compassionate enough to say, I understand. Let me let me let me flip the switch and make sure I, I give her the time that she needs. Let me. Uh, when I look at those young men's eyes and I see their eyes, you know what? Let me flip the switch and and because I see the eyes that they have and, and and the way that they look, or when someone's down, I see the same thing. And you know, Christ did it for me, so I 
I kind of flipped the switch and and uh, realized that I need to to pay it forward and, and do that in return. So that's my source and that's my energy and realizing uh, and I get joy out of it. I get excited. I have enthusiasm because that's the strength and source. So it's no really no personal gain. There's no the gain is to to make sure that we see them have success and to pour into them and that the seeds are planted so that they can have life, you know, so that life can come out of them. Life can come out of my family. That's my first responsibility. If my family's dying, then what good is, you know, helping these young men get to college, you know, or what good is doing anything outside of the, so if, if that, if that tree is not watered first, you know, and then the tree that's being planted with these young men and what we're doing here, if that's not water. I can't do anything for it unless I get my source. And so my energy comes from the Lord. That's beautiful. And, you know, like, so I have a family that, like, I'm, I'm an HBCU baby, as I call it. My Both my parents met at an HBCU. They had us. My sister went to an HBCU. And I see that JUCOs have a lot of similarities to HBCU where there's plenty of talent, maybe not enough funding for the players. And I know you're East L.A. all the way, but... You also seem like a mission-driven coach. So would you ever consider coaching an HBCU down the line? I'm not saying like right now, but considering, you know, the the messaging behind people saying they want to pour into HBCUs, would that be something you'd ever consider? Oh, absolutely. It's a, a, I just want to be somewhere where I can do the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people ask me, why don't you go here and there? And I've had some opportunities to go some higher levels to, you know, double or triple my money. But once you go into those spaces, you're in that world. You know, yeah. And then there's a different mission, regardless of what I'm trying to do. It's like in order to keep your job, you better do X, Y and Z. You know, you got to win and forget all of that helping kids. And, you know, (laughs) now you can do it within that. But it's television contracts on the line. It's sponsorships. And if you don't if you ain't winning and getting that done, then, you know, what, it's time to go. So but I I see similarities in the HBCU and, and, you know, we always had that especially us on the West Coast. A lot of us on the West Coast, we haven't had that experience. And I've had some friends that go out there and had great experiences and it's all it's been all love. And yes, there 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 for some reason even with the exposure that we get, it seems to you know, we're still trying to gather this momentum at the HBCUs like when are we going to really just get start rolling downhill fast, you know? When are we going to start going and uh what coach Prime did, man? You know, I dare anybody to question his move. I, I can see the feeling like it's exhausting to continue to pull and pull and be the be the one pulling everybody up. It's so exhausting to be able to to pull. And for for him at his status to even be pulling, I can see it. It, it feels like myself at this junior college and I'm continuing to pull. And you're like telling everybody, like, look at what we're doing. And it's like and it's not about me. Like, yeah, I use my platform to to get us recognition. But like, I'm trying to pull everybody up. Hello, don't you see it? Administrators, don't you see it? Let's go. I'm helping us with this momentum. Everybody jump in, let's go. And it seems like everybody, in some cases, just sit back. And at some point, you got to say, you know what? I'm, we've kind of maximized what we could do here. Shame on anybody who questions Coach uh, Dion. He could do the same thing, you know, moving on where he's at. But yeah, I mean, it's anywhere where I can do what I'm doing right now, where I can speak into lives and, and I won't get in trouble for helping people, you know. And winning is important I'm at the HBCU. Ultimately, I get to pour into lives and in African-American lives. When I'm speaking, they understand and they can get it a little bit more. I don't have to uh, not speak my language to for someone to get the message. They get the message when I speak, so. No, I love that. And so 
First of all, you said you could have had offers two, three times your salary. Are you turning that down, coach? Here's the thing, though. When you know if you go into that space, then let's just say I'm in the Pac-12, the, the SEC or whatever. If you're in that space, and I've spoken to schools and, you know, Big Ten, Big 12, and that, once you go there, I'm not doing what I'm doing now, you know? And part of it is I got a young family. All of my kids are in high school right now. And, like, if I move now, everything's off balance. Now I'm trying to get them to college. And the the opportunity to really be in their lives, like, I get to go home every night. I'm, I get to watch their games and all that. I'm not traveling around the world like I was – doing when I was coaching at the division one, you miss out on being able to be there. And I have to be hands on with them right now. And then once you're in that space, like I have to go get players, what it takes to get players at the level. Like I'm no longer pouring into lives. I'm no longer really sitting in the living rooms and really talking to the parents and saying, look, I'm going to get your son. Uh, I'm going to get your daughter back on track. I'm not doing that anymore. It's like, okay, I'm going to get you the biggest name, image, and likeness deal. Like, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Not, and then I got to figure that out. That's what I'm doing. They're, they're not coming to the university because they believe in what I believe in. They're coming to the university because they got the biggest NIL deal. They're coming to the university because they feel that's what's best going to get them to the NBA. And that, that's, that's nothing wrong with that. But then I, I just feel kind of cheap, you know. And I'm not ready for that. Uh, maybe when the kids are gone and I, yeah. I feel like they're on and they're going and, and the wife is like, you know what, let's go get that bread. Then I might do that, you know. Well, you brought up something, the name, image, and likeness space. And we pretty much seen it transform college sports. You know, like when I was playing, that would have been a dream, you know, at UConn. That would have been really nice. But we've seen the name, image, and likeness for better or for worse, change how things are going. The transfer portal, I always like to say it's full at this point. There's no more space. What do you see in the future if things continue along this line? Like, what are your thoughts on, on name, image, and likeness in college? Yeah, I think the intentions were great, and I don't mind the student-athlete getting paid, but there's some uh, some disparities right now. It's just there's, there's some unfair fairness that's going on, and I think if they can get a handle on that, I think it'll be fine from a coaching perspective. I think it will be tough if I, if you get you get someone walk through the door. I mean, I've, I've spoken with some players that are different places. Is you know, coach, man, they getting paid three hundred grand, and you know, I'm only getting this, and so that's the conversation now in the locker room. It's not you know he's getting more shots than me anymore. The conversation is he's getting paid more than me, or the coach likes him more. The coach is trying to feature him more. That used to be the problem. The problem is. Well, he got a better deal than me. And I'm like, are we still coaching basketball? And I'm losing my voice. You talked about my voice being gone. You never can, have a voice, coach. <laughs> I know. Because I can throw myself into basketball. Man, do you think I could throw myself into basketball? If He's like, man, you better quit talking to me, man. I'm out of here, man. I, I'm, let me go collect my check, man. Of course, at different levels, there's different styles of coaching that you have to have. But I, I would think it, it'd be hard and, and how to manage that. And I have some relationships with people that had a good handle on culture, their team culture. They had a good handle. And they said, man, I'm kind of, I'm losing the handle. And we talk about empowering student athletes. Yeah, but there's a point where there's got to be a balance where, you know what, there still needs to be some structure and discipline that they have to learn before they move on. And so there's just a balance. And in some cases where coaches had 
way too much power and they were really, you know, suppressing a lot of our student athletes and not allowing them to express themselves. But now they get a chance to express themselves and there needs to be a balance but it's kind of it's kind of going over the top right now, and so we get just kind of got to fix the balance. And I think that's something that the NCAA has to get a hold on. Also, congrats on your Croc deal. I think I saw you post that recently. I think that um, do you think that Netflix has something to do with that, or is it just like you know, like I mean, you're a great coach, and this I, I played 11 years in the WNBA, played overseas, and how I watch you coach is how I would prefer to be coached. I like like you know, Coach Ariyama. If anybody knows anything about Coach Ariyama. He's the same type of he's going to be unapologetically him. Isaiah Thomas did a piece on NBA TV that said now there's a pay to play mentality that is maybe not so much internationally, which is why you see in the NBA now some a lot of the top players are international players. Giannis Antetokounmpo won two years MVP. Then the Joker won two years after him. Luka Doncic is one of the front runners. You start to see that the international game is jumping in leaps and bounds. And Isaiah Thomas attributed it to starting AAU and moving up. We almost have a pay-to-play style. And so do you see that happening more so where it's like paid trainers, paid everything to where it's a certain – Thing you have to do to get to the top? I think from an international standpoint, just the development earlier, we played earlier. Now international, they're starting to develop earlier. We would just play. And then once we got to high school, the end of high school and college, we started development. We were a little more advanced and we were advanced because we were playing. We were repping uh, the sport a little bit more. But now with the development starting earlier, as they have those international teams at an early age, they're playing pro earlier we see that they were starting to move a little bit faster. And it's like, hey, before they pass us up, we better start our developmental leagues and pay to play. And, you know, you got the the G League and you got the G League Ignite uh, with my guys over there with Pooh Jeter and, and Jason Hart. You got that team where they're starting to take, you know, those kids, those high school kids and say, hey, we, we might as well start that pro development uh, a little bit earlier. That would work to our benefit instead of guys – Moving so fast with just AAU and kind of in a sense where we're, we're a little undeveloped because we're trying to play so much. Let's have a developmental phase. Let's try to stop trying to rush and just play and and build a platform. Let's really start our platforms in development and developmental. And let's make that our, our, our gauge and not just the AAU gauge where they go out and play on the shoe circuit. Let's start truly a developmental and let's let that be somewhere where the kids can get paid at. And not just do the the club circuit where the kids see the benefits. Speaking on the pay to play and all of those, you're a girl dad. And so I think you can understand. I'm curious what your thoughts are on why the WNBA and other women's sports only get that 5% of the media coverage. Like coming from, you know, you've been, you have friends and different things. Like, I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts on why women's sports have such a gap when it comes to coverage? And I'm not even talking about pay. I'm just talking about like the media coverage and the following and the sponsorships. What, what, from your perspective, what do you think it is? Yeah, I think it's something in the past that just in this generation is still trying to accept. You know, we're moving past the, you know, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s and the 70s. The core, I think, believe, of our media still hasn't accepted that, hey, we need a, a different marketing strategy. We need to up our marketing strategy to market across all of the boards, you know, the women's sports. And I think just our marketing strategy, it, 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 we still haven't done a good job of saying let's be real strategic and making sure we find this marketing strategy 
so that we get more viewers and we get more sponsors and and we get more coverage. And I think just the core of our media is still a little bit behind in that. You know, the, the our CEOs and, and those that are in the core of our media is still a little bit behind in terms of let's find this marketing strategy to move forward. And I think that's the biggest thing because there's a following and, and just as much as there is men's sports, but we haven't gathered that following and put them in front of our women's sports and say, okay, we, the men have a following and the women have a following. Let's figure out how to strategically market that women following. We don't have to grab the men followers and say, hey, watch or let's transition the, to women's sports. But let's find who who are those who are following our women and who support our women. And let's gather that group. And now let's market to that group and push women uh, sports uh, that way. We're trying to stay traditional with our marketing and with our, our media packages. And and we need to move forward and let's find a strategy and let's find that group and let's move forward with that. Love it. Love it. Last thing real quick. Prediction. So I'm covering the men's final four in Houston with CBS. So I'm just at this point, and I know it's far away, but if you had to pick who who you got as the men's NCAA champion, if you had to pick at this moment, you know what, man, I love grimy coaches. <laughs> I love grimy coaches, man. I love what Kelvin Sampson is doing, man. I love he's grimy. And then, you know what? I got to stick with the West Coast. I like with, even though they a little bit behind right now, I like what UCLA is doing. I just love grimy coaches right now. So I'm, <laughs> but I like Kelvin Sampson, man. I've always loved him. I've been in contact with him. He, he's recruited some of our guys. I like what he's doing. The glimpses of what I have seen, that's, that's kind of what I've liked. Cause again, like I tell you, I'm all 100%. I, you don't have time to even. <laughs> I don't have time. I'm 100%. Like I'm on the phone with my guys this morning trying to get classes and all that. But, what I have seen, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, and I see Kelvin, uh, they doing a good job. And so I'm going I'm to roll with him that he get his first championship. Okay. And then on the women's side, I know you say you don't catch up much, but do you have any predictions on the women's side for the NCAA champion? I'm a Geno fan. I know they a, a little bit behind right now. I'm a, I like homegrown staying, staying at home. So I like the fact that she committed to, to USC and I know they're a little bit behind right now, but I'm going to just roll with, I, I still like Geno. I haven't watched as much. But I like what Gino is doing, and uh, I like, uh, you know, what Purdue is doing. I'm going to just stay with those right there. All right, Coach. Listen, I appreciate you. I I can't tell you how much – I know you're coaching your team, but what you were doing at Last Chance you you're coaching my son right now too and everybody else that watches it. So I appreciate what you do for the game because it, it truly comes out. And thank you for joining me on here. It's a privilege to be on with you and what you're doing too, some of the amazing things, man. You keep doing you. Keep doing you. you go. So talking to Coach Mosley, I love to hear it because I've had coaches that are just like him where they pour in everything they have to the game. They pour in everything they have to the players, and they don't necessarily do it for the accolades. They do it for the love of the game. I mean, we even talked about if you listen to this week's episode, we talk about the accolades when it revolves the Grammys, Pro Bowl, All-Star. I mean, Coach Mosley is a five-time coach of the year, but it's not why he does it. He talks about that he pours into them not for, because they don't have resources. If you watch the show, there's not a lot of resources there's not a lot of payment but what is there it's just the love of sport and I understand that more than anyone else so just hearing him makes me understand we're all the same and we're all in this for generational things as we talk about here at MoCo this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes 
ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.